listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. The reason I'm teaching on this is because one of the things that um, rarely gets talked about, it does sometimes by some ministers, but rarely does it get talked about how to properly release the anointing. And the reason I'm saying that is because every believer has the anointing. You can't be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says um, that it's the Holy Spirit who seals your salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who confirms and seals your salvation. And then, of course, there is a secondary experience that the Bible calls the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The evidence that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking with other tongues. And the Bible says there's one reason why you receive that. The initial reason why you receive the Holy Ghost in baptism is to receive power. It's to receive power. So you know, and I know, that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. Good to see people watching from other countries that are on. we got people from Switzerland. I know there were people watching from the islands. I know there were people watching from uh, Canada. It's good to have you. Glad you're on. But I want you to put this in the comments today, and if you're taking notes, follow along with me. I'm going to give you some historical stuff too. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. Put that in the comments. Put that in your notes. Believing God for Barbara's healing. COPD. Believing God for total healing in Jesus' name. And we're going to pray before the broadcast is over. Believe God for miracles. So Barbara, hang with us. And we're going to pray at the end. Um, But you're putting it in the comments now. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. A spirit of power. In fact, we see that. Um, when we look in what Paul wrote to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. But what did he give us? A spirit of power and love and a sound mind or self-control, self-discipline, one translation says. He gave us what? A spirit of power and love and a sound mind. So the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. He's a spirit of power, and that power resides in you as a believer. In fact, the Bible describes it as so that you can understand the level of power as the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead dwells in you. So that right there shows you the level of power. It's resurrection power. Resurrection power. There's nothing that the Spirit of God cannot do. All right? So we recognize that as believers filled with the Holy Ghost, we are filled with a power that can literally raise the dead. Peter's watching from Italy. Glad you're on. We're filled with a power that can raise the dead. So it's the greatest power in all of the universe filling your body. 
right now. You're watching this filled with a power that's greater than any other power. So the key is, and the question I guess is, if we understand that believers are filled with that kind of a power that's greater than any other thing, then why do we not see every believer manifesting the highest level of power that's available? So the question would be, why do we not see miracles take place through every believer? Is it because every believer is not called to miracles? No, not at all. Exactly the opposite is true. Mark chapter 16 tells us that as the gospel is preached around the world, those that believe it and are baptized will be saved. And these signs will follow them that believe. So notice what Mark 16 is saying here in the Great Commission. Those who just got saved, these signs will follow them that believe. Those who just got saved will lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. Will cast out demons, right? It goes through that list. It's not talking about the mature believers. It's not talking about the apostles who preached. It's talking about the new believers. But then we also know, what does it say? John 14 and verse 12. Jesus said this, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these, because I'm going to be with my father in heaven. And what, did he, what was he explaining? He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send to you another comforter. And when he comes, the spirit of truth, he'll lead and guide you into all truth. So the reason Jesus was saying that we will be able to do the same works that he did and greater is because he was going to give us the Holy Spirit, which he did, which he already did on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus' whole reasoning behind the fact, the works that I do, you'll do also, was because you'll have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that I have. And if you know that, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Ghost. In Luke chapter 3, we see the picture of it after he's baptized in water, he comes up out of the water and the heavens open and the Bible says the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and Jesus is filled with the Holy Ghost. And then Luke 4.1, the Bible says he now starts to be led by the Holy Spirit. Do you know Jesus didn't produce any miracles in his life or ministry until he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Not one miracle. He had a sinless life. He had a consecrated life. He had a dedicated life. He was God's son from birth, but no miracles for 30 years. What was the catalyst that sparked his miracles? Being filled with the Holy Ghost. No question about it. As soon as he was filled with the Holy Ghost, came back from the wilderness, miracles, signs, and wonders started. It started with turning water into wine. So it was the catalyst because that power that's in you is resurrection power. And so, all right, if that's the case, believers have it, but why isn't every believer seeing miracles? 
Well, we just established that it's not because every believer is not called to miracles. And it's not because every believer doesn't have the ability that Jesus had. No, it's not. Now watch this, because this, this, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to say will blow your mind. Might be controversial for some. Some believers don't have a more powerful anointing than other believers. <laughs> I know that. That freaks people out. Well, he's just got a stronger anointing. No, no. He's got the same anointing you have. Well, you know, he, he, really, he really has a strong anointing. No, no. He's got the same anointing you have. You don't have some knockoff brand of the Holy Spirit, and he's got the actual original Holy Spirit. No. Same anointing. What if, here, let's answer the question. What is the anointing? The anointing is the Holy Ghost. The anointing is the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Think of that. The anointing is the Holy Ghost. So if you got the Holy Ghost, you got the anointing. And the Holy Ghost is the fullness of God. The fullness of God. So that's why I say, it's not that some believer, well, he has a real strong anointing, he has a weak anointing. No, we all have the same Holy Ghost, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Paul, the apostle, had to remind the Corinthian believers in, and you can put this in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19, he reminded them, do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, for you are not your own. So he reminded them, your body is the literal temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives and dwells in you. He's with you all the time, with you all the time. So it's not that you have some generic anointing while somebody else has the authentic real thing. No, you've got the same power that raised Christ Jesus up from the dead that dwells in you. I'll go, I'll go another direction too. Listen to this. Your spirit man is renewed and literally uh, re-strengthened, renewed, refurbished every single day, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Every single day, your spirit man is renewed every day every day and so it's not that some people well he's just his spirit can have miracles my spirit can't no every day your spirit is perfect once you're redeemed you stand before God in perfect righteousness right standing with God so it's not that your spirit's less you've got the Holy Ghost and a redeemed spirit You've got the Holy Ghost and a redeemed spirit. The Holy Ghost and a redeemed spirit. So what is this obstacle that keeps some believers from operating in the power of God, in the miracles of God, whereas others, they seem to be operating in that power fluently? Happens all the time. What is this obstacle? And I'm going to tell you what it is because we're in this time of prayer and fasting. It's important that you know this one obstacle to operating and releasing the power of God and operating in the anointing is the carnal nature. 
put it in the comments. The one obstacle to operating in the anointing is the carnal nature. The one obstacle to operating in the anointing, to manifesting God's presence, to releasing God's power is the carnal nature. That's what it is. It's one thing. It's not a hundred things. It's one thing, one obstacle. One obstacle to releasing the anointing. It's the carnal nature. It's the carnal nature. And I want you to see this. It's like, I explained it in our book on fasting and prayer. If you don't have these, these are the two books that I produced for fasting. Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting, 21-Day Fast Field Guide. In this Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting, I deal with this reason that holds back the anointing. And I explain it this way. I explain it by giving the example of the Hoover Dam. The Hoover Dam is massive, and it would be foolish to say, and there's one of the largest man-made bodies of water up above it, but it would be foolish to say that there's no power behind the dam. <laughs> That's foolish. We know there is. In history, we've seen dams burst and the water go rushing down, washing out towns, washing out cities, destroying property. We've seen that happen. We've seen it in history. We know what happens if a dam breaks open. Everything down below it gets washed out. So it would be foolish for us to say, well, there's no power behind the dam. There's power. And here's one of the mistakes we make with people. If you were to poke a hole, as I said in the book, if you were to poke a hole in that dam, you'd see a stream of water shooting out. But it would be foolish because you saw a stream to say, well, what's behind that dam is not that powerful because look at how little that stream is. No, because if you were to take dynamite or some C4 explosive and blow that dam open, you'd see the full force of the power behind that dam. And in this analogy, the dam is representative of your flesh or your carnal nature, whereas the water behind the dam is representative of the power of the Holy Ghost that's inside your body. And so what I'm teaching you today is to the greatest level that you can crucify the flesh and to move that carnal nature out of the way is the degree to which you will operate in the power of God. I'm going to say that again, because I want you to understand at the foundation that you don't need, I get so irritated when I hear this, people stand at the altar, oh Lord, just give me more anointing. I need more. You don't need more anointing. You've got the anointing. He's a person. It's, it is the Holy Ghost who lives in, in you. You can't get more of the Holy Ghost. Now you can be filled and refilled, but he's not leaving you. Be refreshed. Amen. You can spend time in his presence, but he's in you. He's in you. Say, oh, Lord, give me more power. You've got power. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then what did he say? I give unto you all authority. Whew, glory to God. I give unto you all authority. Let's go there for a minute. Luke chapter 10. This is important. Otherwise, you'll sit, you'll sit around praying that God will give you more power. 
You'll sit around praying, God will give you more authority. You'll sit around, God will pray, give, give me more anointing. You don't need more authority, power, or anointing. You've got it. He poured it out on you. He gave it to you. It's the Holy Ghost and fire. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost and fire. Luke 10, 19. The Bible says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Uh, look at that. Over what? All. So you don't need, look, if I just had more power, I could get some power over the this power of the enemy that's harassing me and that power of the enemy that's harassing me. No, no, no. He's already given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Over all the power of the enemy. So there's nothing about the enemy or what the enemy's doing that uh, is outside of the scope of your authority or power. Say, well, I just wish I wish I had the uh, anointing to, to have break that bondage. No, no. And I'm going to show you in a minute what I'm talking about. Look at that. They've updated it. We've get, we get comments from X now. All Twitter comments were, were gone for a long time from now. We see them again. I see Stephanie Otto watching from Alaska on X. We're getting X comments now. Glad you're on. Um, all power. So watch this. The reason I'm going to show you this, it's so important to understand. Otherwise, you'll think the problem is that you don't have enough power. Or you'll think the problem is you don't have enough authority or you don't have enough anointing. And then you go waste time in prayer. Let me just tell you, praying for more anointing is wasted time in prayer. Wasted time. You've got the anointing. You've already got it. So praying for more anointing is a waste of your time. Praying for more power. Lord, just give me power. You've got power. He already gave you authority and power. You shall receive power. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, what kind of power? Power that can raise the dead. Hallelujah. Power that can raise the dead. If you're just getting on, share this broadcast on your social media. People need to hear this. So Jesus already prepped you. He already prepared you for what's, what your purpose is, gave you all power, gave you all authority. And so it's the carnal nature that holds back the power of God from manifesting in your life. You say, well, I thought it was doubt and unbelief. That comes from the carnal nature. Doubt and unbelief come from the carnal nature. If you, listen, if you stripped away your flesh and you stripped away the soulish side of your mind and all you operated in was your redeemed mind of Christ and your spirit, man, there would be no doubt. There would be no lack of faith. None of that. Because your spirit man's already been made perfect and it's not like you need mountains and mountains worth of faith. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could speak to this mountain, tell it to be removed. Amen. You say, well, what, so doubt and unbelief. It's a product of the carnal nature. It's a product of your carnal nature. You say, well, I thought sin hinders it. Sin does. It's a product of your carnal nature. That's exactly what it is. A product of your carnal nature. And so no, notice this, the more you can crucify the flesh, subdue it, and renew this mind, those are the two things that function in the carnal nature, then you can release the anointing of God. You can release the power of God. 
me say it again. What represents the carnal nature? Your fleshly carnal desires and the unrenewed mind. Hallelujah. The unrenewed mind. So you say, what, what is it that can get these things out of the way? Because what, that's what we want to know. We want to know if that's the obstacle, how then do we move these things out of the way so that we can release the power of God? That's the question. And that's what I'm dealing with today because I want you to know that you have the ability to be used by God. You have the ability to step out and see supernatural things take place through your life, through your life. All right, so let's cover this then. Of course, I read you this yesterday, but it bears repeating, especially for this topic, Galatians chapter five. And uh, I want you to see how powerful this reality is. Galatians 5 and verse 17. I read you this yesterday. Listen. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. For what reason? To keep you from doing the things you want to to do. So there it is. The flesh and the carnal nature is at war with the spirit at all times. I don't care if you've been saved 50 years at all times, your flesh nature is at war with your spirit nature. There's always going to be a conflict going on within you always. That's why that there's a fight going on that you have to win on a daily basis. If you want to release the power of God, if you want to see the anointing of God flow through your life, then the carnal nature has to be subdued and your mind has to be renewed. No question. There's no question about it. So the question is, how then do we do that? How do we do it? So number one, Paul said this, and of course, I repeat this as often as possible because there's people that think the reason they have to do this is because there's some kind of a, a weak Christian or a new Christian. No, no. Paul was an apostle that wrote half the books of the New Testament and he had to do it. So don't think that just because, you know, or, or you, you know, you feel like, you know, I'm in the middle of this fasting, but you know, it's not going smoothly for me. So maybe it's cause I'm, you know, I'm not cut out for this or God's not using me. No, no, no. We're, everyone's hungry. Just to give you, just to give you a heads up, there's, I'm not less hungry because I'm the preacher. I'm the, I'm the one teaching you. No, everybody's hungry. Everybody's fighting their flesh. Everybody's feeling it. Everybody's doing it, but you got to do it. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he said, I discipline my body and keep it under control. The actual Greek here, I pummel it and make it a slave. Think about that. I pummel it and make it a slave. I make my body a slave. A slave to what? Spiritual desires and the word of God. I make my body a slave to spiritual desires and the word of God. Why? He said, the reason I do that is so that after having preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. So he didn't want to be disqualified. So what did he do? He made a slave of his body. So here it is. The first thing, how do we, how do we move our carnal nature out of the way? To go back to that analogy, how do I put dynamite on the dam? 
How do I put dynamite on the dam? Put this in the comments section and write it in your notes and don't forget it. Fasting and prayer are dynamite on the dam. Pop it into your uh, notes, put it in the comments. Fasting and prayer are dynamite on the dam. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Fasting and prayer are dynamite on the dam. It's the first thing we need to talk about. It's one of the reasons that we're fasting and praying right now. Fasting and prayer are dynamite on the dam. So it blows that flesh open and allows the spirit of God to begin to flow. Allows the power of God to begin to flow. Did you know that Jesus in his own ministry did not produce any miracles until he was number one, filled with the Holy Ghost. And then I've asked you this question before, what is the first thing the Holy Ghost led Jesus to do in his life and ministry? Fast and pray. First thing Jesus was led to do was fast and pray. Even before he was tempted of the devil, fasted and prayed. 40 days, 40 days, fasted and prayed, 40 days. And then he came back in the power. Glory to God. If you've never seen this before, let me show you the difference. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. <laughs> Cassia said, this is blowing my mind. Just to make sure I'm pronouncing it right, is it Cassia with a K sound or is it Chassia? It's either Chassia or Cassia. Let me know in the comments. Luke chapter 4. Two verses I want you to see in Luke chapter 4. The first verse and the 14th verse. Luke 4.1 and Luke 4.14. The Bible says in Luke 4.1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days and when they were ended, he was hungry fasting and prayer for 40 days. So what was he? He was full of the Holy Spirit and led. But when it, when it was all done, what does verse 14 say? And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Huh. Notice that. He returned in the power of of the Holy Ghost. It's Chasia, as in the cha-cha slide, Chasia. Um, he went in full of the Holy Spirit, but after fasting and prayer, he came out full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Something changed in the wilderness that allowed him to begin to release the power of God in his ministry, in his life. It's no surprise to me, and it's no accident, that the Holy Spirit, the first thing he led him to do was to fast and pray. And after he fasted and prayed, he was not just full of the power of the Holy Ghost, he was full of, or he was not just filled with the Holy Spirit, he was full of the power of the Spirit. Because when you move that flesh nature out, when you crucify the flesh, when you come out ready to go, you can release the power of God in a new measure. Release, you know, Jesus, notice, the same temptations we face, Jesus faced. 
Just because he was sinless didn't, doesn't mean he didn't face temptation. He absolutely did. He was tempted in all points as we are, the Bible says, yet he never sinned. Hallelujah. He overcame temptation. He overcame it. And when he came out, he came out in power. Glory to God. He came out in power. Now, let me say this. It is not the devil that produces an obstacle to the anointing. The devil is no obstacle to the anointing because Jesus stripped him of his power, stripped him of his authority, and gave that authority to the church. So it's not the devil that produces an obstacle to the anointing. It's not demons that produce an obstacle to the anointing. And I'm going to show you that, that it's actually always the carnal nature that produces an obstacle to the anointing. Look with me in Mark chapter 9. This is so important. This, what I'm teaching you today is so vitally important. It will change your whole life and ministry. Mark chapter 9. And you know the story. There was a boy that had an unclean spirit that kept him from hearing and kept him from speaking. And it would often throw him into the fire and the water to, be, to kill him. It was Today they'd say, well, he's just suicidal. No, it's a demon. This boy had a demon. He needed to be cast out. And so the parents brought the boy to the disciples first. But the disciples could not cast the demon out. Had Jesus given them authority and power? Yes, he'd already given it to them. Had they cast demons out before? Yes, they'd cast demons out before. Something here, they couldn't cast this demon out. And so the parents brought the boy to Jesus to see what he could do. Now, if it was just that Jesus was the son of God, you say, well, you know, he's at a higher level because he's God's son and the disciples are not God's son. No, Jesus, as soon as he found out that his disciples could not do it, he rebuked them. It would have been unjust. It would have not been right for Jesus to rebuke his disciples for, doing, for not being able to do something they couldn't do. I'm not going to rebuke my seven-year-old because he doesn't know how to drive a car and have a driver's license. I can't believe you. You're seven years old. You can't even drive the truck. I'm just asking you to go to the grocery store and pick up some groceries. He's seven. He's just learning how to tie his shoes by himself. So he can't drive a, a car. Can't yell at somebody because they don't know how to work some architectural program on a computer. can't believe you can't draw architectural plans. What's your problem? They don't know. They don't know how. You can't rebuke them for not being able to do it. They've ne- they don't know how. They don't have the ability to do it, right? You can't go into your baby's room that's in the crib and say, how come you haven't gotten out of that crib and cleaned this room? There's dust everywhere. You should have already, you know, cleaned this place up before I got in here to feed you. It's like they're babies. They have no ability to do what you're asking them to do. And Jesus was able to rebuke his disciples Because they could do what he empowered them to do. That's why he said, you faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? Bring this boy to me. He rebuked them because they should have been able to cast it out. He empowered them to do it. But we're going to find out in a second why they couldn't do it. You say, well, was it because the demon was too strong? No, it's not. It's not because the demon was too strong, because Jesus had no problem casting it out. 
it went out without issue when Jesus cast it out. So it's not because the demon was too strong, even though Jesus makes a comment about levels of demonic strength. But levels of demonic strength should not be an issue because Jesus has an expectation of what level of dedication his children will have. Get this. Mark 9 and verses 28 and 29. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Verse 29. And he said to them, because this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, the King James Bible here says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, the oldest manuscripts of the book of Mark that we have do not add the words and fasting, but you can understand down through the years why scribes had amended that and put in and fasting, which is why we have those later manuscripts that add those two words here in Mark 9, 29, because the church, after Christ's commands, had such a heavy dedication to fasting and prayer that the scribes thought, well, man, he must be talking about fasting and prayer like he did. They amended it. And uh, you can see in Matthew 17, 21, which is like a mirror of this verse, that scribes would often take um, parallels from other gospels that they may not have in front of them when they were copying the word of God all those years ago. And they say, well, I know this story from the gospel of Mark. And after they couldn't cast it out, Jesus said this to them in the story. And then Matthew 17, 21 was added in. But understand something, the church was fasting two days every single week for hundreds of years. Because after Jesus gave them this command to fast and pray, they started fasting. They were so hardcore on fasting. And the church continued to increase in fasting and prayer. Why? They wanted to fulfill the dedication that Jesus had for them. How do you think they turned their known world upside down with no technology? How do you think the early church turned the known world upside down with no internet, with no sound system, with no planes, with no trains, with no automobiles, none of those things? How do you think they did it? By fasting and prayer and the power of the Holy Ghost. And so look what Jesus said. I'm praying the appropriate amount. You disciples are not praying the appropriate amount. And as a result, there are things you can't do because your carnal nature is not moved out of the way properly. Because though there are different levels of spiritual resistance, that has nothing to do with the power of the anointing. It's the ability that you have to release the anointing. As Again, as we just covered a moment ago, you don't need more anointing, you've got the anointing. You don't need more authority, you've got the authority. You don't need more power, you've got the power. What we need is to be able to release that power fully and do the works of Christ. And so Jesus said to them, what you're looking for is more prayer. Now, the reason fasting plays into this, Jesus fasted, the disciples fasted, Paul fasted, the early church fasted. The reason fasting plays into this so strong is because our flesh nature needs to be subdued, needs to be moved out of the way, needs to be crucified. Like Paul said, I need to submit, pummel my body, make it a slave. You know, one of the things that you'll realize 
very quickly actually as you fast and pray was how strong your flesh really was. Many people never realize that until they begin to fast. And I'm not talking about medical things, but there's people, their flesh is so strong that they can't fast the full 21 days. They just can't do it. There's people, and I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm just showing, making a point. I'm not doing this. This is not condemnation. I'm not, I'm not ripping on anybody. You might be at that starting place. And it's good. We told you that's a good starting place, six to six. But when you notice without any medical issues, man, I'm doing everything I can just to get my faith working to make it to six o'clock every night before I have a meal. Shows you how strong your flesh is in your life. Your flesh is so strong, so powerful that you can't give up food. You say, what? Well, you know, not everybody can do it. No, everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. And I'm sure you'll build up to it. But there's people that their flesh is so in control that they can't even pray properly because all they're thinking about is food. Take control of your flesh. Take control of your body. Take control of your mind. Amen. We live in a country where things are so readily available to us. You know, many, in many places in the world, there's many people that only eat one meal a day. Many. Many. It's not like it's uncommon. We're in the top 1% of wealthy, prosperous people in the entire world in the United States of America. Our poor people look rich to people in other countries. Our poor people look rich. All we, all we know in this country is overflow. So well, we have plenty of poverty in this country. Not You don't know true poverty until you've gone overseas and looked at poverty in third world nations. You don't know what poverty is. Well, you know, that person's homeless. They're living in poverty. They're eating Chick-fil-A and they're fully clothed with shoes. They've got a shopping cart full of stuff. Well, they don't have a home. Yeah. Go to a third world country and look what poverty really looks like. Where people are naked. They have like loincloths on. And they're walking around with their ribs showing. And they have nothing to eat. You've got 30 people jammed into a little tent. People that are racked with disease. Go, go look at what real poverty looks like and come back to America where our homeless people are overweight. And this is not a lack of a compassion for those that are uh, struggling or trying to get on their feet in America. I'm telling you by comparison, our country doesn't know what poverty is. We don't know what it is. There's people here, if you're homeless, there's programs. You can eat three hot meals a day every day and never go without a meal. If you just go take what's available to you. There's places you can go and get clothing for free and you can have clothing. You have a wardrobe. You can get shirts for, you can go find a quarter on the street and buy two shirts at Salvation Army or Goodwill. You have full shoes. You got warm clothes, sleeping bags and tents. There's plenty. You're not poor. You're just not on your feet. You go to countries where they're truly poor, they're poor. They don't, they're not eating three hot meals a day in some soup kitchen somewhere. They're not wearing a full wardrobe of clothes, sleeping in a nice sleeping bag. They're not doing that. So people don't know. And in America, we've gotten spoiled. That's why East, you go, you go to other places. Go to the continent of Africa and watch how they fast and pray. Watch how they press in for breakthroughs. Because they've got leaders that are literally operating by demonic spirits. When you look at their prayer points and their prayer points say, Lord, we take authority over those who are drinking the blood of the innocents to gain power. May they be removed from power in Jesus' name. 
Maybe people don't know anything like that. It's like, what does that mean? It means there's people that are operating in demonic witchcraft that are killing and drinking the blood of innocent people to gain demonic power or to manipulate society. We don't, people don't understand what's going on. And you, just, you people can't wait to get to six o'clock to have a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Your flesh is in control of you. You don't even know it. You're a slave to your own flesh. We're the only country in the world that has obese children. Our pets are obese. Our pets have diabetes and we have to give our pets insulin shots. Think about that for a minute. I want you to think about that. Not only are we obese, our children are obese, our pets are obese. Because we're a flesh-driven society. And fasting and prayer will shake you out of that. And break the bond. There's people that are watching me right now. You have an addiction to food. You have an addiction to sugar. You have an addiction to food and you can't get out. That's why, why, do, why do you think in America there's people that they can't even do actual fasting, even six to six? Well, I'm fasting social media. That's not a fast. Well, I'm fasting coffee. That's not, you know why they're doing that? Because their flesh is so in control of them, they can't push the plate away. That's why they're doing it. Because they're flesh driven. And then there's people walking around. I don't know why I can't see any miracles. I'll tell you why you can't see miracles. Because your flesh runs your whole life. That's why. Can't get to 6 p.m. without sneaking a candy bar. It's because your flesh rules your life. Your stomach rules your life. The Bible talks about people like that. Their God is their stomach. I'm going to give you that verse. I got to get the reference because you need to hear it. The word fasting in the Old Testament to Psalm, it means to cover the mouth. The word fasting in the New Testament, nesteia, it means to be empty. That's what it means. To be empty. Philippians chapter 3. I know this seems harsh. I'm giving you a convicting word. Because I want to see people break loose and not be controlled by their body. We'll not see breakthroughs and turnarounds as long as we're constantly controlled by the flesh nature. And I'm just going to tell you this. We've eaten ourselves into sickness and disease. We've eaten ourselves there. That's not my opinion. That's provable. I put it in this book right here. I put the references in this book. 50% of people in America that are hospitalized are battling metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome. It's a combination of type 2 diabetes, high triglycerides, high blood pressure, all these different things made up and they call it metabolic syndrome. It can be changed simply by your diet. But you know what people don't do? People aren't willing to cut that stuff out of their life. What they'd rather do is take shots or pills. Philippians 3.19. The Bible says, in fact, let me start with verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So there should be people that you can see in the body of Christ that you can follow their example and live like they live. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. 
Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly, and their minds are set on earthly things. Their God is their belly. You know how you know people are carnal? Is because if the church calls a fast, people don't fast. And then if your doctor tells you to fast, man, I can't eat anything. I got a meeting with the doctor tomorrow or two days from now, and he said I have to fast until then. And people are so faithful on that fast fast because their doctor prescribed it. I, I need you to fast for 24 hours before you come in for your, uh, oh, yeah, I won't. And people are so, then the church calls a fast. Well, I'll be fasting sugar. I'll be fasting coffee. And this is more important. And there's people that can't get there because their God is their belly. Their flesh rules them. And, this, and I'm just, I'm telling you this because if our body is truly the temple of the Holy Spirit, I want you to think like this during this fast because may this fast break in you an addiction to food and an addiction to sugar and an addiction to these things that feed your flesh. May you come out of the other side of this fast no longer addicted to food. Dying because you can't get away from food. May this be the end of that for you, for the rest of your life. We, we live in a country, we've eaten ourselves into a place where our blood cells are so, they're so hardened, they can't even receive the insulin that our pancreas produces anymore, and people start having their blood sugar go through the roof. Why? You've eaten yourself into that place. And obviously, I'm not talking to type 1 diabetics. But understand something, there's a self-control aspect. The Bible teaches your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Imagine this, if Jesus was coming to stay at your house and you said, listen, he said, I'm coming and I'm going to spend uh, seven days, I'm going to spend a week at your house. If you could have a place prepared for me to stay, I'd really appreciate that. Would you put Jesus in your cold, damp basement on an old mattress that has pea stains on it with dirty sheets and, and like no pillows. Sorry, we didn't have any pillows. Um, if, if you need to take a shower, there, there might be a towel in there. I don't know. Or would you work until the moment he arrived to provide the most opulent place? Would you go out? I'm sure what people would do, they'd buy all new bedroom furniture. They'd prepare a new bedroom. They'd paint the walls. They might put new carpet in there. They'd put all new bedroom furniture in there. They'd buy all new bedding and sheets and pillows and have a mini fridge. What drinks does Jesus like? I'm going to put them all in there. I'm going to make sure he has everything he needs. There'll be plenty. And that, that place is going to look like a hotel, like a five-star resort by the time Jesus shows up. Of course, you'd take care of Jesus at the highest level if he was coming to your house. But if we know our body is his house, what are we giving him to live in? Think about it. What are we giving him to live in? What are we giving him to live in? And there's something too what the disciples did and the early church did and spent two days a week fasting. There's something to a life of fasting. There's something to that. God doesn't want you in a place. And then you go blaming the devil. You know, the devil's been attacking me. How's the devil been attacking you? He's just attacked me with type 2 diabetes. The devil didn't attack you with type 2 diabetes. Chocolate donuts attacked you with type 2 diabetes. I'm just giving you the truth. And somebody needs to say it. And so I'm saying it. Because we live in a culture in America and in Canada, this whole Western culture, because we can have... 
We can have anything we want. Everything's available to us. Everything's right at our fingertips. We can go anywhere. We can go two seconds down the road and get a crumble cookie that's that big and crush the whole thing. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have cookies. I'm not saying it's wrong to celebrate. And You can have all things in moderation. But people are addicted. And they're so addicted. This is a proof to you. There's people that are so addicted that all they can think about is when is it going to be 6 o'clock. They've checked their watch 32 times. They're ha- they have it countdowns. Countdowns. When is it 6 o'clock? When is it 6 o'clock? Why? Because you're more focused on when can I have a meal than when can I seek God's face and pray and believe for breakthrough. There's people that can't even pray. All I think, I'm just thinking food, 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 food. It's because you're controlled by your flesh. And this is what I'm telling you. You say, well, why? And, and, and this isn't a few. This is the majority of people. That's why I'm saying if we're wanting to see miracles and signs and wonders and breakthroughs, it comes from moving the flesh out of the way. You have to move the flesh out of the way in order to do that. You have to do it. The carnal nature, the flesh, it's constantly fighting you. You don't even know that your flesh is fighting you and it's fighting you. It's fighting against your spirituality. It's fighting against the supernatural being released from your life. It's fighting against your witness. It's fighting against you being able to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It's fighting against you being able to cast out demons. It's fighting against you being able to operate in the gifts of the spirit. It's fighting against you. Your flesh is fighting against you. And the Bible talks about people like that. Their God is their belly, their stomach, and their minds are set on earthly things. Hallelujah. And you just make up your mind. My, my belly is not going to be my God. My belly is not going to be my God. I refuse to allow it. And so the only thing that hinders the anointing being released from your life is the carnal nature, your flesh and the renewing of your mind. So let me just tell you, number one, You have to fast and pray. So what did Jesus say to his disciples? The reason you couldn't cast this demon out is because you've not been fat, you've not been praying like I've been praying. Jesus had no problem casting it out because his life of prayer was where it should be. But we can see the example of the disciples. Look at them. They're in the uh, garden of Gethsemane. They're trying to pray. And Jesus is praying and he goes off a little further into the garden, comes back after an hour and they're sleeping. They're sleeping when they should have been praying. He wakes them up. Pray. Comes back. They're sleeping again. Pray. He said, you couldn't even pray for an hour? What's the deal? Couldn't even pray for an hour? Hmm. Couldn't even pray for an hour? And so Jesus didn't think an hour of prayer was a long time. That's why I'm encouraging you. The church had an hour of prayer. As we're fasting and praying... You need pray at least an hour a day, at least. Press in. Think of the things that you do for an hour other times. Think of the times. If you spend all the time of your eating each day, your dinner with your family, your lunch, your breakfast, think of the time you spend on Netflix watching just one episode of a show that you might like. It's an hour. When you cut those things out, give one of those hours to God in prayer. Give time to his word. Fasting in prayer puts dynamite on the dam. Fasting and prayer puts dynamite on the dam. Can I tell you, there's a price to be paid to operate in the power of God. 
There's a price to be paid to operate in the power of God. A.A. Allen wrote a book called The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. I believe that's one of the books in our Secrets of the Great pack, is it not? The people that are joining us for the Project David that are sewing, we're sending you a, a package called The Secrets of the Greats uh, compilation or pack. It's books from these mighty men of God that shook the world. And his book, A.A. Allen, The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. It's so powerful of a book that we took the time, because it was out of print, we took the time to republish that book through Miracle Word Ministries. And I wrote an introduction at the beginning because people don't even know anymore who A.A. Allen was, and he shook this nation. He shook this nation by the power of God. And here's a man that when he would hold 21-day tent campaign crusades, he would fast the whole 21 days and preach every night and lay hands on the sick and see miracles, signs, and wonders. He'd fast the whole 21 days. Men that shook the, the earth by their anointing. Hear what I'm telling you. Were men of fasting and prayer. They were mighty men <clears throat> of fasting and prayer. And we took the time to republish this book, The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. There's a price to be paid. There's a price to be paid for this. There it is. A.A. A. Allen. Jesus said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead and cast out devils. Is God's power upon your life? Are the gifts of the Spirit in operation through you? Do you have faith for miracles? How often are the sick healed and devils cast out when you pray? Are you lacking power to do God's work? What prevents you from confirming the word with signs following? This faith classic has the answers you've been looking for. In order to have the power of God in your life and ministry, there are conditions to meet and a price to pay. Let God lead you to a new victory and greater usefulness as you discover how to pray. How to pay, sorry. Pay the price of God's miracle working power. And this is part of that package. But understand something. It doesn't come to everybody. doesn't come to everybody. It's, th it's not because everybody doesn't have the ability. It's because not everybody's willing to press in. I often say this jokingly because it makes people laugh, but it proves the point that I have the same muscles as Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I've got the same muscles as Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've got the same muscles as all those bodybuilders. It's just that mine don't look the same. It's not because mine couldn't look the same. It's because I don't have the same dedication to the gym and eating and supplements that they have. If I did the same things that they did, I would have what they have. Let me say that again so you get it in your spirit. If I did the same things they did, I would have what they have. Why do you think Paul kept on saying in the New Testament, imitate me, imitate me, imitate me, follow me, follow me, follow me, imitate me. The reason he wanted the church to imitate him, he was getting results. He was getting results, and he said, if you want to have what I have, if you want to do the works Jesus did, imitate me, imitate me. And even when he couldn't get to the churches, and I wrote this in here in the section, in the chapter under, did the apostle Paul believe in fasting and prayer? Uh, he said, even when I can't come, I'm sending my son Timothy to you, who's going to teach you how to live like I live. Think about that. The imitation was so important. He said, I'm going to send my son in the faith, Timothy. He'll teach you to live like I live. Why? Because I want you to have what I have. I want you to experience what I experience. So vital. Put the dynamite on the dam 
and begin fasting and praying throughout your life. Not just in these 21 days, but throughout your year. Spend time. Be led by the Spirit. Take some times. Take some times and do it. Now let me say this. What about the second part? What about your mind? Because that's part of your carnal nature. What about your mind? The mind is the battlefield. You know this. You've heard this many times. The mind is powerful. Your thought life is powerful. Why do you think Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth? Notice here, even in Philippians 3.19, their belly is their God. And what else? Their minds are set on earthly things. Don't set your mind on earthly things. Set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Whatsoever things are pure, holy, of a good report, think on these things, right? Paul multiple times instructed us how to think, how to think. You know what that means? It means that the self-control the Holy Ghost has given us even extends to our mind. I've had people say to me, well, Brother Ted, I can't control what thoughts pop into my head. No, you can't. But you can control whether you dwell on them or not. Think about that. Though you can't control the thoughts that may pop into your head or if Satan suggests a thought to you. No, you can't. But you can control whether you dwell on them or not. Look at this. Let me give you one. 2 Corinthians. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. I'm just I'm taking a little bit longer today because I got to get this in you. I have to get this in you. This is so vital because we're going to see the power of God manifested in our lives. Let me read you 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10 in verse 3, starting there. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and... Take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You see that? What do we do? We take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought. We make thoughts prisoners. I want you to write it in the comments. I make thoughts prisoners. I make thoughts prisoners. Hallelujah. You have to make your mind obey. Make your mind obey. I make thoughts prisoners. Maybe I'll take time to teach on this soon. One of the biggest things that's really never taught in the body of Christ because people hear the phrase and they think it's new age, meditation. People hear the word meditation and they think Buddhism, Hinduism, new age philosophy. They, they think all these other things. Meditation. They think of some dude sitting cross-legged with his, with his fingers touching in the middle. Meditation is something created by God for us. Meditation. To meditate. To set your mind is to meditate. To set your mind. What are your meditations? What are you meditating on? 
That's one thing. When I was in Bible school, we had a huge prayer and healing center. Uh, and the prayer school at Kenneth Higgins, we had some leaders. And every day, some of the, they'd come in, they'd, they'd check on us. They'd say it. What have you been meditating on? What are you meditating on? And what they were asking is, what verses, what scriptures are you meditating on? What things are you going over in your mind? What new creation realities are you meditating on? What are you letting fill your thought process? John G. Lake, the great healing apostle, would give his healing technicians one verse a day, just one verse. And before they'd start praying for the sick, before they'd start laying hands on those that needed miracles, he'd say, here's your verse for the day, meditate on it. Meditate on it. And one verse was enough to get in their spirit and the meditation on that verse to begin to work the works of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. New age philosophy stole that from God. All these other religions, they stole that. God is the one who created meditation. He's the one that created the mind, told us how to set our minds, how to operate in the mind. We take thoughts prisoners. Take thoughts as prisoners. Amen. Meditation. I'll do a whole teaching someday on just meditation, how to meditate, how to properly meditate on the word of God, how to set your mind. But let me just say this final thing. And then we're going to take a few moments to pray. And I'm encouraging you to take an hour a day to pray. But listen to me. The other thing, besides just self-control and taking thoughts captive, the other thing that you need to have is the word of God on a daily basis. That's why we have a uh, Bible reading plan set for you every day of the fast so that you're consuming large portions of God's word during this time of fasting and prayer. And something happens when you read God's word. Did you know that the word of God has cleansing power? This will be the final scripture I give you today. The word of God has cleansing power. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to catch this. Ephesians chapter 5, go with me to verses 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. How did he cleanse her? With the washing of water with the word. There it is in verse 26. With the washing of water with the word. With the washing of water of water with the word. This word that we hold in our hands is supernatural water that cleanses this mind. One of the ways we renew our mind is through the reading of God's word. I put this into my soul every single day. I put it into my spirit every single day. The washing of water by the word. The washing of water with the word. The washing of water. This word carries cleansing power cleanses your mind it cleanses your mind hallelujah and then by prayer and thanksgiving we guard our minds the peace of god comes after prayer and thanksgiving and guards our hearts and minds by christ jesus philippians 4 so we can guard our minds and we can cleanse our minds guard our minds cleanse our minds the washing of water with the word thanksgiving and prayer guards it the word washes it Hallelujah. Thanksgiving and prayer guards it. The word washes it. Washing of water. I'm cleansing my mind. That's how I'm renewing my mind. 
Hallelujah. Renewing. Let me tell you, let me just show you. I told you it was going to last first. I'm going to give you another one. Romans 12. So I want you to see this. What happens if you don't renew your mind? Here's a question. What happens, this is the reason I'm giving it, because the why is everything. As Simon Sinek said, start with why. The why pushes you to your goal. If you know why you're doing something, it's not arbitrary. It's not random. There's a reason we're doing this. Why is it so important to renew your mind? Let me tell you right now. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice this. If you don't renew your mind, which allows you to be transformed, you will conform. Let me say this now. If I don't transform, I will conform. Please, please put that in the comments. If I don't transform, I will conform. This is so powerful. Get this today. If I don't transform by the renewing of my mind, I will conform. So what is the difference? The world has a mold. This is the best analogy I could give you. It's the best analogy. Get this. The world has a mold that they want you to form your life around. They want your life to fit their mold, right? Gender dysphoria accepting of every every type of sin on the street. You know, it's cool. Everybody can do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Everybody can do what they want and we're cool with it and everybody. And they want you to conform to the mold that they have. And if you don't renew your mind, you will conform to that mold. That's why you've got churches that have gay flags hanging outside the porch of the church. And you've got churches that are ordaining homosexual uh, uh, priests and, ever, and, and preachers and all that because they're conforming because they've not transformed, so they will conform. So think of it this way. If you took a glass, doesn't matter what it looks like, take any glass you want and pour water in it, the water is going to conform to the shape of that glass. Think about it. The water is going to conform to the shape of that glass. Take the same water, put it in an ice tray, stick it in the freezer, and when it's frozen, pop those ice cubes out and dump them into a glass. They will not conform to the shape of the glass. They will stay in the shape they're in from the ice tray. Think about that. The ice cubes stay in their form that they created in the ice tray in the glass. Though the glass has its own shape, they will not fill that shape. They stay in their own shape, though they're in that location. It's going to help somebody today. Because when you transform by the renewing of your mind, God shapes you. God shapes you. Think of that ice tray. God shapes you. And then I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. So when I go out into the world, I don't conform into the glass and fill that space and look like everybody else. I am ice cubes in the glass. I keep my shape. 
I keep my form. I keep my function. I keep my, I've been transformed. So now I'll not conform. I'm transformed. So now I won't conform because God already shaped me through fasting and prayer and his word. He already shaped me. And because he shaped me, now when I go out into the world, I don't get shaped like they're shaped. I'm not filling the mold that they're filling. I am out of place in the mold. Hallelujah. I'm out of place to their mold because I've already been molded. I've already been molded. I've transformed by the renewing of my mind. So now I won't conform. If I don't, put it in the comments one more time. If I don't transform, I will conform. If I don't transform, I will conform. Hallelujah. I want you to get this in your spirit. Today, God is giving us a call to the greater. That's why we're on this time of fasting and prayer. I'm encouraging you. Press in. Press in. Now listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not condemning you if uh, people are they're doing the six to six fast and all that as I was talking earlier. I want you to understand something. If you're doing it, really press in. Your six to six fast shouldn't be a countdown to when you can eat again. It should, be a, it should be you pressing into the word, pressing into prayer, pressing in uh, worship, whatever it is you're doing in that time. It shouldn't be a check in your watch every 15 minutes. How much closer are we to six o'clock? That's a sign that your flesh is in control. Transform yourself. Go to another level. It's fine if you want to do the six to six fast. What I'm telling you is don't let that six to six time frame rule your life. I had people start writing me last year. They said, man, the six to six, I forgot even what time it was. It was seven, eight o'clock. I hadn't eaten and I was just going about my day and pressing in. That's how it should be. Not like, oh my God, how much longer? Oh Lord, oh, we got 50 minutes left. Take control of your flesh. Transform, renew your mind. Get into the word, get into prayer, press in. Watch what God will do for you. Watch what God will do for you. Let's pray. Come on, let's begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Right where you're watching, begin to pray in the Holy Spirit right now. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, and we want to thank you because you've chosen us. You've set us apart as your precious people. You brought us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. And Lord, I'm asking you today that you would make a distinction between us and the ones who do not serve you. Those who have mocked your presence, those who have mocked your truth, they mock the Bible, they say that we're fools for believing you. Make a distinction between us and the wicked. Make a distinction between us and those who refuse to bow their knee to the truth. We declare we will not look like the rest of this world, but you are transforming us today. We renew our minds by your mighty word. 
word. We pray, we fast, we press in, and you're transforming us, made in the image. We're conforming to the image of God. Hallelujah. And because we conform to the image of God, we thank you that we will never be conformed to the image of this world in the mighty name of Jesus. Yes, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're not like everybody else. We don't want what they want. We don't have what they have. No, we're pressing in for greater, for the things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined. We thank you, Lord, that you're going to do for us the things that you've prepared for us from the beginning of time, things that blow minds. We expect wonders in 2024. This is our year of open heavens. And Lord, we give you the honor and the praise for what you're doing in us. Thank you that this is a year that we will see churches grow and flourish all over the United States of America. Send revival to your churches, Lord. Let this be a year of breakthroughs and turnarounds. Strengthen your pastors. Strengthen the staff of, of each church. I pray you give them a new anointing, a new fire. Hallelujah. I pray you do something in them that's never been done. Let this be the greatest year of their Christianity that they've ever experienced in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that you'd open doors that have never opened. Make rivers in the desert. I thank you, Lord, that you'll do something this year that will be so spectacular that everybody, whether they serve you or not, will have to admit you're at work in the earth. You're doing something for your children. It will be evident. It'll be clear that it's your hand at work. It's not our natural efforts. It's not the government. It's not the culture. It's not corporations. It's not even family members that are doing things for us. It is the hand of God at work in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, we set ourselves apart for signs and wonders. We say, Lord, use us. Find us in position for promotion this month. I pray, Lord, that your eyes will find us in position for promotion this month. In the name of Jesus Christ, we will see the goodness manifested, the mercies manifested, the healings manifested, deliverance manifested in the name of Jesus Christ. Do what only you can do, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Let this be a banner year in the body of Christ. I pray before Jesus comes, let us reap an end time harvest of souls that is completely unprecedented. Things that have never happened before in the body of Christ. Let the largest number of souls come into the kingdom this year that have ever come in in the mighty name of Jesus. Let this be our time to see the greatest breakthroughs. We know, Lord, you save the best for last. You save the best for last. And so, Lord, we have expectation, great expectation for what's about to happen. Lord, protect our nation from calamity. Protect our nation from war in the name of Jesus Christ. Protect our nation from conflict, I pray. Let this be the most peaceful year that America has experienced in a long time in Jesus' name. 
Lord, though others are predicting turmoil and problems and issues, I'm asking you to give us a divine exemption from every attack of the devil. I pray in Jesus' name that you would keep our country safe from terrorist attacks and all terrorism in Jesus' name. I pray that you would do something mighty even when people had things planned to happen to America. I pray you'd throw a wrench in the works and destroy every plan of, a, of the devil against this nation. Father, you're righteous people. You have righteous people here that are pressing in. You've got righteous people in Canada that are pressing in, in Central and South America and Australia and Asia and Europe, Eastern and Western Europe. Father, there are people pressing in. And Lord, we're asking and believing you for the continent of Africa. There's people pressing in. And so Lord, do for our nations and our continents what have never been done before. It's never taken place in history, but you're gonna to begin to do it this year. We receive wonders in Jesus' name. We consecrate ourselves for wonders in the name of Jesus. Lord, whatever presents and represents an obstacle to your people today, those that are watching me, those that are listening to me, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would blow your breath once again from heaven and remove obstacles from our path. I pray that things that hung on families for so long, things that felt like they were generational and would never leave, I ask you today to work a miracle and remove everything that presented itself as an obstacle or a harassment to their family. Addictions are broken. Debts are being canceled. Sicknesses and diseases have to go in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that you're working mightily on our behalf. Hallelujah. We thank you that we will have exactly, exactly what you have planned for us. Yes, we join our faith. I believe that. <clears throat> we ask you to expose and dispose of it, Lord. Expose it and dispose of it. In Jesus' name, every antichrist agenda, every wicked plan, Lord, I pray, uncover it. Take the covers off. Expose it and show it for what it is. And then remove it by the power of your spirit. As we prayed earlier, let this be a year like it was in Noah's day, that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out judgment upon the wicked. Remove them from places of authority. Move them out of the way. Those that oppose the church, those that stand against the people of God, those that oppose the advancement of the church, I pray in Jesus' name that you would move them out of the way in 2024. Let the righteous possess the land in Jesus' name. I declare it, the righteous shall possess the land by the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. The righteous shall possess the land in the name of Jesus Christ. We receive it today. I thank you for it. Now begin to thank him. Begin to praise him for what he's about to do. Begin to praise him for what's about to happen. Lord, we're thankful. Thank you for working on our behalf. Though we can't even see it yet, you're already working. Though we don't even know what's happening behind the scenes, we know that you're already working. We give you praise before we see a manifestation. It's getting ready to come to pass in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. It's getting ready to come to pass in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you. You're wonderful. There's nobody else like you. You're marvelous. Your loving kindness is new and it's fresh every day. It's steadfast. 
It never changes. Your mercies never come to an end. We thank you that your faithfulness is great. Thank you for all that you're doing in our loved ones, our families, our ministries, our businesses, what we set our hands to do. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing a mighty work in us. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing a mighty work in us. We give you honor. We give you glory and praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe it, say amen. Throw some fire up. Throw some hands up in the comments today. Glory to God. And begin to thank God for what he's doing. In Jesus' name. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.